150 episodes of Fractured Skulls. Terminator Travels alongside Monoxide. It's July 23rd, 2023. If you can believe it, we made it this far. We got a big retrospective episode today, guys. So no movie review here, but I'm excited. I've, I always look forward to these episodes. How are how, how you, how you doing this fine evening, sir? I'm tired. I've been up since like 4 in the morning because I decided to go into work for a couple hours at 5.30. But uh, once we got situated, I actually had a interesting discussion with an old friend of ours about the pro wrestling business. And uh, once we got to this review, I was like, yes, let's make this list ready. I also have booked my next vacation. So I'm very happy. Nice. Yes, my flight for me and the wifey together was only 200 bucks. Oh, Round yeah, trip. Yeah. Round trip, that's excellent. 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 Ex- ex- excellent smooth. Yes, we got to definitely do Halloween Horror Nights. One night. At least once. One night. I'm, I'm down. We're going to do it. It's, it's going to happen. Yes, we got to do it. Let's do this. Let's do this. But we got a lot to, we got some new stories to cover. We're gonna get right to it. 150 episodes. Let's check it out. All right. First things first. We're gonna head over to Warner Brothers. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom has went through three rounds of reshoots. They have cut two Batmans from the film and has received mixed test screening scores. The film is now said to be on a positive track after the last round of reshoots. For those that are wondering, Amber Heard is most likely out of this movie now. She was the main love interest in the last in the first film for Aquaman. She's I'm pretty sure she's now gone. Uh, Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton were also reported to be in the movie playing Bruce Wayne or Batman. They have now been cut as well. What's going on? I think with this new direction of James Gunn's DC coming in, they can't just cancel this movie because too much money is similar to Flash. Too much money has been thrown to it to the point they got to release it. They can't just write it as a tax write-off. It's not like you're writing off $80 million. I'm pretty sure they, they spent over $200 million making this damn thing. So at this point, it's just like they know there's no more universe. At least, you know, this is basically leftovers from whatever from the Zack Snyderverse. So it's kind of just want to get this out of the way. Just so they can hit the restart button with uh, James Gunn's uh, DCU. It okay. seems like they don't know what the hell to do with this movie. I mean, it's Aquaman. It, Aquaman's always gotten ridiculed for being such a lean superhero. But funny thing is, I read a couple of the comics, being that I'm not really a comic book geek. But I did read a couple of the comics, and they were pretty fun. I'm just... The problem is, I'm not a comic book guy. I can read comics casually, but I have to be in a certain mood... And then there'll be that certain mood where I'm really into them. And then that mood will just dry up very quickly. And then I'll move on to the next thing. So I'm not a comic book nerd. I know my father, he was never an Aquaman guy. He said he always liked Namor, the Samaritan more. Um, he's a, he's basically Marvel's version of Aquaman. Talks to animals, King of the Sea, Atlantis, all that. Uh, but Aquaman over the years has gotten repackaged, rebranded. They made him more muscular. They gave him longer, blonder hair. And more recently with the films, they casted Jason Momoa. And I re- I like him in that role a lot. I mean, Momoa's a big guy. He's intimidating. And that's kind of basically what the Aquaman character needed. Well, yeah. Jason Momoa is like the definition of the alpha male, if you will. Perfect candidate. I, if I was making an Aquaman movie and I have no fucking 
knowledge of Aquaman. That's a guy I would want. Yeah, and I loved how he was used in the uh, the Zack Snyder cut of the Justice League. And the Snyder version, it was rated R. And obviously, uh, he has his little pitchfork that he uses. I say, you know, I understand like they make these films PG-13, but he's got to stab someone with that thing. <laughs> and he did in the R-rated version. It was great. I was like, yeah, that's my Aquaman! <laughs> yeah, I think they're very hesitant on making any of their main superheroes rated R. When I think of a Batman movie being rated R, I think of all the endless possibilities that they can go with that. I mean, granted, Joker was rated R, but it's not Batman, it's Joker. It's just, there's so much opportunity that you can go with that you couldn't do in a limited environment. Now, that's not to say that just because it's rated R, it's going to be quality. You're, you're probably still going to have a shit film. But... The thought process of a Batman movie having F-bombs. I figured that'd be interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. And of course, you have that glass ceiling that's no longer there. So it gives you more range what you want to do, how much violence and gore you want to show without it being too heavy or, you know, for the sake of shock value. But uh, I don't think we never had an R-rated Batman movie. I mean, you mentioned Joker, but that's not a Batman movie. It's more of a, it's a Joker movie. Yeah. But I, anyway, I, think I guess just... we don't need an R-rated Batman Live action, they're, at least. They're just afraid, I guess, that of what it'll do to their franchise if they go rated R. It's kind of like if Nintendo decided to go PG-13 with Mario. That would probably, in their minds, harm the brand. Because Mario's always supposed to be for all audiences. Yeah, for example, if you did make an R-rated Batman film and it made a shit ton of money, it was like, well, fuck, we can't go back to PG-13 anymore. Is any eyes of the audience they're gonna think we're going backwards right so i guess that's why they're afraid they don't want to go to that step because if they do it's like there's no going back uh yeah I... you, already, you already can't go back you can't go back to doing adam west batman those days are over well adam west batman was for the time you can't really i, I don't think there's really any other time you could have done that even before mm -hmm. it was specific to that time period you may be able to get away with it as, like, a sub-thing. I, I remember when Arkham City came out. That was the second Arkham game. There was a way to unlock the animated series Batman, which was really fucking cool. Now, it would be cool if you released a Batman game and you had the option to play as an Adam West version of Batman. That'd be cool. It would be interesting. Playing that type of Batman... So, but yeah, I don't think you can do, um, I, I, I'm with you on that boat. I don't know if you could really do Adam West Batman. Maybe as like a side project, but not as a big movie project. That would have to be something that's more like, oh, we got this big Batman film, but here on the side, we got this film that kind of goes back to the 60s route. Just to kind of curb your, uh, your taste for Batman before this big one comes. I can see them making like like an animated movie of like an Adam West style Batman, and then they like release it on I don't know what they call it, H Max now HBO Max whatever. That's one thing, you know, you could do that, but like a live action, no. Yeah, it depends. It really depends. But as far as a main line, yeah, I I could agree that it's hard to do. Yeah, and you mentioned a Joker, which is going to lead to my next story. Uh, Braun 
the studio behind Joker, Judas and a Black Messiah, and the Idol has filed for bankruptcy. Mm. Of course, they produced a bunch of other movies as well. But uh, yeah, it seems like they have filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and I don't know how much longer they're going to be around, they're going to be in business, but yeah, they've done a lot of films. Bombshell, uh, The Willoughby's, Capone, Pieces of a Woman, The Survivor, The Spy Who Dumped Me. So, I mean, they've had, you know, I think Joker they produced alongside Warner. But I'm surprised that they're going out because, you know, Joker made like a lot of fucking money. Mm, yeah, it, I think they said a billion dollars. Is general? Yeah, $1.074 billion in the box office. Which I think, if I'm correct, it is the only film? Is it the only rated R film to go over a billion? I could be wrong. Uh, I want to say you're right. Yeah, with a budget of only fifty to seventy-five. Mil- oh my god, that's killer profit right there. That is not even a hundred million dollar movie. Yeah, it got so bad that that scene where the Joker, where Joaquin Phoenix's Joker dances around the steps, that's um filmed in the Bronx, and a lot of people get so mad because people started visiting that area, obviously to take pictures, and that's not a safe area. It's no, very it's, a, it's become a tourist attraction. Yeah. So you can best believe that you may be wanting to go there with a bunch of people so you don't get jumped. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Oh, man. But yeah, Braun is, uh, has filed for bankruptcy. Oh, I'm, yeah, that is kind of shocking because it's like, yeah, they made a movie that generated over a billion dollars. So it makes you wonder what other business... Uh, adventures they did that didn't really pan out for them. Yeah, because I, I mean, I understand, you know, unspecified virus of unknown origin happened, you know, and a lot of those films, like, may come out during that time that they produced, you know, had to go straight to the app, and they basically just had to eat their losses. Right. I mean, I don't know, because you mentioned a bunch of other films, but, like, what, what was their box office? That's the key thing. I don't know where all, where all that money went, so who knows? Well, definitely down the drain, because if they're going out of business. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of Warner Brothers, DC, DC's new film, Blue Beetle, is that is long-range tracking to earn $12 million to $17 million on the film's opening domestic weekend. That's no good. Blue Beetle, a.k.a. Blue Waffle? <laughs> And it's got the likes of the kid from uh, Cobra Kai, and it's got George Lopez. Yeah. Uh, with I mean, a budget of $120 million, $17 million this opening weekend. Yeah, the, the studio's not... I don't, the studio is barely promoting the movies. Like, they know this is going to lose money. So then why'd they make it? Well, they, they, they made this a couple years ago. Hope I guess in the middle of everything, in the middle of the superhero hype. Mm-hmm. But since they made it, it's like, well, let's just get it out. I mean, again, a budget $120 million, That doesn't include how much they probably spent on advertising. Probably not much. But again, this is one of those films that needs to make a lot of money in order to see something in return. And Blue Beetle is just not the name to do it. It doesn't even sound like... Just the name in and of itself does not sound enticing. Like, you want to go see Blue Beetle? What's Blue Beetle? <laughs> I got your blue beetle right here. 
Like, come on. Yeah, uh, this is gonna be another loss for DC. I don't know, this is supposed to be part of the James Gunn universe. I don't know, it's all fucking confusing. I think the official James Gunn universe starts with the new Superman Legacy film. Maybe, but these superhero movies are just so fucking overbearing at this point. Yeah, it's... People had enough. People want something new, they want something different. And we'll get to those films in a bit. We're gonna head over to video games for a bit for some Mortal Kombat news! They have released their first round of DLC for the new Mortal Kombat 1. I don't know, have you uh, seen them? Yeah, isn't Peacemaker one of the uh, DLCs? Yes, we got John Cena's Peacemaker. We got Quan Chi, Ermac, uh, Takeda. Well, first off, it's Ermac, not Ermac. Oh, I'm sorry. Thought I correct you. All right, I, I know you're you're. You're, you're a Mortal Kombat guy. I am too. I, I think I think you're more of a follower than I am. But outside of the MK characters, we have, as you just mentioned, Peacemaker from DC. We got Omni Man from the Invincibles uh, cartoon series on Amazon, and of course, you got the big one, Homelander from the Boys. Quite a cast. Yeah, it makes sense because I know uh, the people who make the Mortal Kombat games are also affiliated with DC because they did release a Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe. So Peacemaker getting in doesn't surprise me in the slightest, but it is interesting to see John Cena, even though it's not supposed to be John Cena, it's John Cena's Peacemaker, but it's just interesting to see John Cena in a game where people are going to be severed and killed. So, but then again, then again, it's been a very long time, but I remember in the Mortal Kombat vs. DC game, the DC characters could not be uh, killed in fatalities. I guess Peacemaker is going to be the exception to the rule. Maybe. I don't know. Since uh, this, I mean, this is an official Mortal Kombat game. It's not an associated. It's not with DC. It might not, but if... So he's, Peacemaker is not a DC character. He is. He is. All right. So DC could easily say, all right, if we'll, we'll give it to you, but you're not allowed to have him killed. I don't know. I don't know what their arrangement is. And as for the other two, uh, Omni-Man from Invincible and, uh, of course, uh, Homelander. I mean, you of course, they're going to have to kill. That's that's their characters. They're they are very corrupt. They're basically corrupt versions of Superman. And J.K. Simmons has already announced he's going to be coming back to provide the voice for Omni-Man for the Mortal Kombat game. Which is going to have to make me think John Cena is going to come back to voice Peacemaker for the game as well. They're going to get all the the original... They're going to get the original actors to do the voices. I don't see the actors saying no. Yeah, it's because uh, they were able to get uh, the guy, uh, Kerry Tagawa, to play... Redo his face for Shang Tsung, which I thought was the right choice. Because he basically is... He virtually is Shang Tsung at this point. He's established that character as far as a real-life persona. So... And now, as far as the other characters, Ermac, uh, Quan Chi, and uh, Takeda Takahashi. Quan Chi was introduced in Mortal Kombat 4. He's kind of like a sub-boss to Shinnok. And he was the one that actually killed uh, Scorpion's family. When for the longest time, Scorpion thought it was Sub-Zero. Ermac is... The, the origins of him behind the scenes is pretty unique. Because... In the very first Mortal Kombat arcade cabinet, you know, like when you start up the game, if you were to boot it up, it would show you like a list of stats, such as how many fatalities were performed, how many times did you find Reptile, this, that, and the other. And then there was another thing called 
ERMAC. I forgot exactly what it stands for. Um, but suffice to say, uh, oh, error macro. That's what it is. It's short for error macro. And when people looked at this, they thought that Ermac was another secret character, a red ninja. And to make matters worse, somebody, I guess they had so much time on their hands, uh, created a fake photo of what looked to be Ermac in Mortal Kombat 1 with a red uh, suit, ninja suit, similar to that, a reptile, scorpion, sub-zero. And it just spurred all these rumors. So when Mortal Kombat 3 came along, or at least Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, because I think the original didn't have any of the ninjas, when they made the update, that's when they brought in Ermac. That's just a little known fact. And they would also follow up with Rain. Do you know how they came up with Rain? I do not. Well, Rain is the purple ninja. <clears throat> yes, I remember purple. him being the purple ninja. I don't know his backstory. Well, purple rain. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Yes, I'm not even shitting you. Purple rain. It's kind of like Raiden. Raiden's character is literally based off that character from Big Trouble in Little China. Yes. Kano is based off the Terminator. And Johnny Cage, theoretically, is based off of John Claude Van Damme. So anyways, off on that tangent. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like an interesting list. The problem with the Mortal Kombat game since, I would say, Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance is that the gameplay feels very stiff. It's not the top-notch gameplay I would go for, but yes, fatalities are fun. They're always going to be fun, except now they're just more elaborate, and they are easier to pull off. Okay. So, are, are you... I, I, we, I, I know we brought up the trailer in the past. I, I Are you planning on getting this game? I guess. I did pick up so it's funny because I played Mortal Kombat 9 and I played through the story mode. I had gotten Mortal Kombat 10 and then just played a little bit of it and just let it rest. Then when Mortal Kombat 11 came out, I didn't play it right away. I waited until I saved up some money to get it. But while I was saving it up, I still had Mortal Kombat 10. So I was like, let me play through the story of Mortal Kombat 10. Played that, and then I played through the main story of Mortal Kombat 11. So it's like, I have played the main stories. So I may as well play this one, since it's a follow-up. The, the only issue is that right when Mortal Kombat 9 came out, it's basically a retelling of the story. And some of the characters from the original storyline have not been canonically presented in the new universe. Like, there's some characters that still haven't been brought back. I mean, one character that's probably never going to see the light of day again is Su, uh, Su Hao, I think his name. He's considered mm -hmm. the worst Mortal Kombat character ever. Uh, we haven't seen... I'm trying to remember if we've seen Fujin. Can't remember, but... And, and my biggest complaint is, and somebody else pointed it out, is Shao Kahn is nowhere near as intimidating as he was in the original games. Because... Shao Kahn's character in the original games were that, yeah, he's big, he's intimidating, he'll fuck you up, he'll use his brute strength, but he's not an idiot either. He's also a manipulator. So it's like, it, Shao Kahn was such a complex character because usually you're either a big fucking beast that can just fuck shit up, 
or you're a master manipulator, but you're not really that threatening physically. Shao Kahn was both. So it's like he had the best of both worlds, which made him such a unique character. But now, now he's just like a big fucking beast. And sometimes he ain't even the main boss in, in the games. So it's like, why even have him? Shao Kahn is such a unique boss that he should always be the final boss if you're ever going to bring him up. Yeah, he was the guy in the end. I mean, you thought Shang Tsung was a guy, but you realize, oh, wait, no, he's answering to a higher power. And it was supposed yeah. to be Shang Tsung. Shang Tsung. Shao Kahn. And another character they haven't brought back, but he is, I think, figuratively, as part of the story, is Onaga, who was introduced as a character, like, uh, not playable, but a final boss in Deception, which was the game before the last one of that universe called Armageddon, which was just basically every single Mortal Kombat character in existence in one game. Unaga was supposed to be like a, a, a an emperor from many years ago who was thought to have been dead but was in hiding or some shit. It's complicated stuff. I, I have to re-up on my Mortal Kombat history. Have you watched any of the uh, Mortal Kombat animated movies? The recent ones I, that came out within like the past two years? I did not know there was animated movies. It's on It's on HBO Max or Max, whatever the hell they call it these days. Um, I, they there's two of them up there now. It's called Mortal Kombat Legends: Scorpion's Revenge, and Mortal Kombat Legends: Battle of the Realms. Hmm. It's basically like a retelling of the first Mortal Kombat film. Basically, the storyline. Tournament. Um, the opening scene is very similar to the live action film, the death of Scorpion's family. Um, but I mean, but there's other plots in the movie that, but that's the main plot. Then you got the subplot of all the other characters: Liu Kang, Sonya. Johnny Cage, everyone coming to this island for this tournament, and it's and it's R, it's violent, it's R-rated, and then I think you'll like it. It's only, it's only like an hour and change. Not link it. It barely touches ninety minutes. Yeah, link it to me when we're done. But yeah, and then still... the second film, Battle of the Realms. I think it's been a while since I've seen it. I think Shao Kahn's in that, and then it's basically again like the movies. So my opinion is the Luke Kang, Johnny Cage, Sonya Blade story should always be the main story because mm -hmm. they're the saviors of Earthrealm. They're yeah. the three that Raiden feels will save Earthrealm from devastation from Outworld. And they're all unique in their own way and they all have their own uh, trials and tribulations that they have to go through before they can face Shang Tsung or later on Shao Kahn. I think the reason they title it Scorpion's Revenge probably because I feel like over the past couple years, Scorpion just had a resurgence and populate and just being very popular. I don't I don't know what caused it, what happened, but Scorpion just became like the new guy. Well, he's always been the guy along with Sub Zero. They've always been the main popular characters because of the ninja aspect of them. Scorpion's just more unique because he's not a villain per se, and he's not a ghost. He's called—he's what they call a sector. It's a mixture of ghost and human. It's kind of like if the crow came back, like Eric Draven, but he can die, and he's brought back to avenge the loss of his uh, family. And I think he's from Netherrealm. Like now, he resides in Netherrealm because he was killed many years ago. Mm -hmm. So, 
his character is pretty complex too. So that could be why. I I would think that should be more of like the the, the movie should be one heavy plot is on Luke Kang, Sonya Blade, and Johnny Cage, and the other is Scorpion. Yeah, funny because you know if you want, we can make that our next review the animation movies. Because I, I definitely I would like to get your take on them. Yeah, sure. It's up to you. Yeah, I mean, because and the reason I brought it up because they have another one, a third film called Snowblind. It came out this past October. I don't know if they dropped it on the app yet, but I'm going to watch it. But but uh, recently they just announced they're going to make a fourth. Like the animated movies are kind of like in their own cinematic universe in a way, which I'm glad they're doing these because I think it's a good retelling just for any new people that kind of want to get the basic summary of the Mortal Kombat lore. I, I would mm. recommend the movie, the animated movies. Like you, you know, you'll get a good idea who everybody is and where they fit into the story and everything else. I bring it up because they're they're going to be making another animated movie. Uh, I think it's supposed to be a prequel on Johnny Cage's movie career. Yeah, I just saw a cage match. It's called. Yeah. And Joe McHale, who did the voice of Johnny Cage in these movies, is supposed to come back to provide the voice again. He does a good job. Okay. I feel like you kind of may need like a comedic actor, I guess, to do Johnny Cage, at least voice acting wise. And McHale fits the part perfectly. But definitely, I'm going to link those movies to you after this review, and then during the week, you can check them out and let, let me know. Okay. I'd let, I, I, Now I'm kind of curious to see these. Tony Bennett passed away at the age of 96. Uh, he's a big singer in Las Vegas. I've, I've heard his name over the years. I know he's done Baby It's Cold Outside with uh, uh, Lady Gaga. I've heard his music. I mean, he's been around for us. 96. Yeah. He's... Up there, I never really listened to his music. I really don't want to be disingenuous because I really can't put into words of his career. That that would be a uh, injustice. Yeah, I can't either. But I just remember one of his songs, "Baby It's Cold Outside," got pulled off the radio. Yeah, you remember this when they pulled up "Baby It's Cold Outside"? I don't know Why? if that had anything to do with the woke mob. It, it partially because apparently it was a rape song or some shit. Oh Jesus! <laughs> this was right I'm around the time. Rape, that, but just the idea. It, it was just that was around the time that feminism was poisoning everything. Baby, it's cold. I can't. I'm trying to remember the lyrics. Baby, it's cold outside. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember the lyrics. To be honest, yeah, I think they cut that scene out of Elf. Yeah. Because that, that song got so much heat. Yeah. Around 2009, 2010, I want to say. Maybe I could be off. Maybe it was 11, 12. It was ridiculous. I don't, that... I don't, know, if it's still, I don't know if it's still canceled, but I hope not. But come on, man. These people are really reaching. Yeah, it had something to do with like a guy manipulating a girl to not uh, go out and stay inside. No, I gotta, I gotta listen to the lyrics. I never really actually listened to the song, but I know the song. I never actually sat and listened to the lyrics. I doubt, I doubt they're, I, I doubt you know they're, well, they're overreacting. I mean, speaking of making changes, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh god! Oh uh, no, they're not dwarfs anymore. They're magical creatures. Or seven you know, diverse rainbow mafia characters. We talked about this. Yeah, on the last episode. Not just about on our live episode, but before I was on my way home and I sent you a clip 
of some woke dude, and I forget the guy's real name, but he used to be in WWE as Hornswoggle. Uh, Dylan, Dylan something's his real name. Yeah, I know him as Hornswoggle because that was his gimmick name for many years, and that's how he made most of his money. He basically brought the point up that you're taking away from all the dwarfs or the little people that could have made a good living being a part of one of the biggest movies of all time in Snow White. And not only that, the stunt people, they get lost out, especially since Hollywood is very discriminatory towards little people and what they can do. They don't have the opportunities like most normal people would have. And now it's been taken away for the sake of diversity, which kind of is like, wait a minute. Let's take a Huh? Like, yeah. <laughs> so you remove a, not a protected class, but a certain class of people in, in little people. And, what, like, and one of the reasons that they did this, for those that don't know, Peter Dinklage is probably the most famous dwarf actor in Hollywood. So and he, last year, he did an interview saying that uh, the Seven Dwarf story is offensive. Which I don't understand. Because when I remember watching Snow White, the, the dwarfs all represented a certain uh, emotion or a certain trait. Yeah, they, they all had different personalities to them. And not only that, aren't they the ones that saved Snow White from her yes! comatose? So it's like, how is it offensive? Exactly. What was so offensive in that fairy tale? There was there was nothing offensive or discriminating against dwarves in that story. If anything, they were the heroes in the end. They saved her. Yeah, that's what amazes me. It's like people who are portrayed as heroes are all of a sudden offensive now. It was like when remember when they got rid of Aunt Jemima. Because, oh, it represented a slave back in the day. And then the family of Aunt Jemima are, like, so upset because it's, like, now the person that they aspire to be because she got out of slavery and became an icon now is no longer going to be recognized because the woke mob were speaking for them. Yeah, and, and Disney was saying, you know, we, we spoke into the to the uh, dwarf community. Well, they, one, it's funny because in that interview with, uh, of the Pierce Morgan, he didn't want to refer to them as dwarfs. And then Dylan Horsehog was like, you know, but that's what we are. We're dwarves. Yeah. Dwarf is considered offensive. The term dwarf is considered offensive from the woke mob. They like to call them little people, but yet the little people are saying, you know, no, we're fine with being called dwarves. It's not offensive. It's what we are. So when Disney says, you know, we've spoken to the, you know, to the little people community, I'm like, who did you speak to exactly? Because the only person who's been made public about this was Peter Dinklage. You're literally changing all these people just to satisfy one person. And Hornswoggle said in that interview, who the hell made Peter Dinklage the spokesperson for the entire community? Yeah. And then on top of it, like, like he said, now, how many dwarves did it? There's seven, seven dwarves. So now there's 14 jobs or 14 dwarves, seven of which being the main actor, seven of which being the uh, stuntmen are now out of a job because you didn't want to have dwarves because it's offensive. Even though if you were done, or since this is a live action remake of the 1930s classic, 
probably one of the greatest, not just one of the greatest Disney films of all time, but probably one of the greatest films of all time. One of the greatest films of all time, one of the most important films of all time. It's the first ever feature animated movie based off the classic 1857 fairy tale written by the Brothers Grimm, where that story takes place in the 15th century. And it needs to be updated for modern audiences. Yeah, but here's the thing. You make a live-action remake, you give 14 different dwarfs or little people a job. And they get to make money, and they get to be promoted in a positive light. Yeah, they have goofy traits, because one's called bashful, one's called grumpy, one's called dopey, one's called sleepy. But in the end... They are the good guys. They're not presented as fucking the 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 the, the button of a joke. The only reason they're presented as goofy is because it was an animated film. And, and it's a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale, exactly. But it's the same vein of if you do a Willy Wonka film and you decide, no, let's not have a well when they did the Johnny Depp version, they just had one guy who was, I think, suffers from dwarfism. Yeah, but they, they just have, yeah, he was a dwarf, but they just cloned him. Yeah, which I think, I, I, from a economic standpoint, I understand. I would have preferred just have a bunch of higher bunch of dwarfs, which then brings the question: If they remake of Wizard of Oz, are they not allowed to have Munchkin Land? Oh, it's going to be diverse land. Oh, God, with the rainbow. Oh, no. Oh, with rainbows and, and, and the trans flag. It's going to be everywhere. That's the whole you. Oh, no. I think I just I think I just gave Hollywood an idea. Now they're like fucking twiddling their fingers like. <laughs> um, You mentioned Willy Wonka. I'm assuming you have not seen the new Wonka trailer that dropped. Um, I didn't see the trailer, but I did see a clip of the, the Oompa Loompa. Yeah, it's Hugh Grant. Yeah. Who is not a dwarf. And they, these people are willing to spend extra money just to take a normal-sized actor and shrink him. Instead of just casting dwarves. Give them a job. Give them it some work. It doesn't make sense. I don't get it. You know, I, okay. you know, it is very hard for them because there's not many stories in Hollywood or in general that centers around little people. So, yeah, it's difficult. So whenever an opportunity comes up, they're all going to jump at it and do the best that they can at doing that job. But th this whole woke mentality, just this whole inclusivity thing just doesn't make sense to me. Because they're all a bunch of hypocrites in the end. You just excluded little people for what? And on top of it, so now let's just say, because they've been remaking horror films. If they start remaking the Leprechaun series, are they going to get... Warwick Davis to reprise his role, or are they going to just get a, a, a regular-sized person and CGI them to be little? Which then, in turn, if that's what they're doing, I thought we were told that a white person couldn't uh, voice an Indian person because they're not Indian. So, does that mean that a regular-sized person like Hugh Grant can't play as a dwarf because he's not really a dwarf? I mean... This, this whole wokeism is just pretty inconsistent. Very inconsistent, because it doesn't make fucking sense in the end. They're sacrificing, they're getting rid of dwarves to push just to continue to push their propaganda. So then, in other words, Peter Dinklage is cutting his nose off to spite his face. Because now I, think, I think Dinklage is doing that just so he could be the only dwarf in, Ho in Hollywood to get these jobs, get this kind of work. 
he doesn't want any other dwarf actor who's any if there's any other successful dwarf actor they're gonna threaten peter dinklage's spot well there is another one warwick davis he was in the leprechaun series and harry potter star he was in star wars too he's one of those little teddy bear well yeah he's oh ewoks i think ewoks yeah i think he was one of the many ewoks maybe one of his early gigs yeah, I'm not sure if that was, like, a main character, but, like, yeah, he was the Leprechaun, and he was, uh, Flitwick in the Harry Potter series. Who was the, uh, Ravenclaw teacher, I believe. Mm-hmm. Professor Flitwick, as we call him. But, yeah. But I mean, he's, like, yeah he's, like, the only other well-known dwarf actor that I know of. It's Warwick and Peter. Yeah, I believe you are correct, um... I mean, he's not as well known, but that guy that was the uh, the leprechaun in Jingle All the Way. The yeah, that, uh, yeah. I don't know his name. He's not as big as those two, though. He was never in a real big picture. Yeah, as, as, but yeah, but it goes back to what Dylan said. If unless you're like an elf, it's like those are like the only kind of roles they get. Leprechauns, yeah. Elves are leprechauns. They're like the, they're like the top two. Yeah. Or again. You get a Willy Wonka film. There's there's the Oompa Loompas. Then you get uh, Wizard of Oz. You got the Munchkins. And then, obviously, with Snow White, you got the dwarves. Although now, we don't got dwarves. We got so dwarves. We got no Oompa Loompas. They already lost two. Like, literally, what are they going to call this? Because the movie is called Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I no, think no, it's no. called Snow White. So, is it white considered offensive? Can we just call it Snow Black or something? Snow mud? Snow... Uh, oh, snow mud doesn't make sense. I don't know, mud brown? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I'm done. So, uh, you, you're... So, according to the woke mob, their biggest offenses with the Snow White story is that they're dwarfs and Snow White is white. Mm-hmm. That is their flaws with the story. Oh, and, and she has a prince, which they're now getting rid of. Because she got poisoned by the witch. And the only way to bring her back to life was through a kiss of a prince. They're going to do away that. So I don't know what the hell they're going to do now. Yeah, apparently I saw an interview with two of the... I think you sent it to me, two of the uh, creators of the film. And one of them says, oh, she ain't going to be saved by the prince. She's going to be strong and empowering and a leader. She <laughs> said that, I groaned. Yeah, this is going to be another girl boss movie. I'm like, yo. I, don't you guys know that girls like to be saved by a man? It's considered romantic because the guy loves her so much he's willing to go through hoops and bounds to save her. What the fuck is wrong with that? What makes that so bad? I mean, one of the best, one of my favorite movies when it comes to a man saving a woman is Shrek. Shrek? Well, it's not a man, it's an ogre, but yeah. It's an ogre, but a male saving a female. Being the Prince Charming again. And the thing is, Fiona was still a very strong female character. Mm-hmm. Do you know do you know a video game series that sells millions upon millions upon millions of copies worldwide and is one of the most successful franchises of all time? Super Mario? It's literally a fucking Italian plumber saving a princess. Legend of Zelda? Two? Yeah, the thing is, is that that's not more, it's not a romance story, 
and some of the games is not Link saving Zelda. Mm-hmm. Some of them, I've... yeah, it is. Some of them, it isn't. Mm-hmm. And most of it, if I'm correct, is not a romance story. He's just a knight that's trying to save the princess. As opposed to Mario, he has a love interest with Peach. That's his woman. You know? I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm done. I can't, I can't, I can't. Things that I grew up with that were considered normal, and I still think are considered normal, are now being considered, like, horrible, horrendous things. And I'm sitting here scratching my head wondering what is so bad about a man saving a woman. I, I don't know. They, they, I guess they feel that makes females look weak, which I, that was never the case in anything. Like these stories. You want to know one of the most romantic scenes of all time is uh, romantic. I, I guess I'm stretching the term, but a, a scene where it's so like it, it puts the man in such a great light. Think about Back to the Future. George McFly is this fucking nerd who can't stand up for himself. He's awkward, this, that, and the other. Biff is constantly harassing him. He's constantly harassing Lorraine. Lorraine doesn't like him because he's a bully. And one day, he pushes her to the ground. George finally had enough. He's finally like, yo, that's my crush. That's the woman that I love. And he gets so mad and punches him square in the fucking face and saves Lorraine from this asshole known as Biff. And then they walk into the club. Not the club, I'm sorry. The school dance. And they kiss. It's a romantic scene. With it's this a scene that was earned. Yeah. This woke mob, they would insinuate that Lorraine's got to go up and be the one to fucking low blow him and save George. Like, that's romantic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who wants to date a fucking pussy? I'm just, I want to know. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like that song, that emo song. (laughs) The women already have a pussy. They don't need another one. (laughs) Fuck. Oh, my God. But um, that's that's where we are with today. This is is Disney. They've done this to themselves. This was self-inflicted. Real question is, how much money are they going to lose with this one? Who cares? How much money did they throw at this movie? Those pictures, they like to look like something out of like some local town festival. Those people and those diverse cats that they that are playing the dwarves quotations were the only people that, that they had. Said, well, we'll make them. Let's just use them. We'll make the best. Thing. I give up. <laughs> I just I give up. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. They just have this world of uh, social on the internet. Spotify is gonna change the price for subscriptions. Sounds like it's gonna go up. Twitter is going to officially rebrand to X. Have you heard about that one? I did. Apparently Elon Musk is rebranding the... I mean, Twitter... Before Elon Musk came along and, and brought or bought the platform, Twitter was already painted as a very hardcore liberal app because of all the shit that had gone on for many years and how many times that Tim Pool had to call out Twitter for being very biased in one direction. Pardon. So, sometimes you just gotta fire everybody and start over. And virtually, he did fire a lot of people, if I'm correct. So now, here we are, and he's gonna rebrand and call it X. 
hard to say because Twitter's been an established name. But I guess he figures it's so tainted. Start over. It's going to be weird. It was kind of like when, um, when, not Sprite, uh, Sierra Mist decided to rebrand and call itself Starry. For 20 years, you've been Sierra Mist, and Sierra Mist has kind of been ingrained in our brains, and now you just want to rename it, and then you rename it to something as lean as Starry. Starry. Yeah. Good. And, and I had Starry. It's just Sierra Mist. Like, if you if you had Sierra Mist, you had Starry. Yeah, I had it uh, yesterday. Yeah, it's the same shit. It's no different. And last, and last but not least, YouTube is not allowing uh, you to watch videos in HD unless you're subscribed to Premium. Yeah, if Rumble can fix their app just a little bit, Rumble can definitely overtake YouTube. Because I think people are just getting sick and tired of YouTube's restrictive nature. Yeah, they're and, very restrictive at this point. To the point you can't even swear anymore in, your, in the videos, apparently. Yeah, the quartering, I think, put it best. It's no longer YouTube, it's them two. I remember when I, yeah, because when I first got on YouTube back in 2006, it was very easy to get popular on that website. All you have to do is just be as entertaining as possible. Just have a little bit of charisma and a video camera and you can gain an audience. I remember before uh, some of my videos got wiped out, it wasn't that hard to garner at least 100k views. Very easy because it was new. It wasn't as restrictive. All you had to do was have a, a specific subject, and you could get popular. That's how Angry Video Game Nerd was able to get popular. But then once Google acquired the rights and YouTube started to get bigger, then all the people who were already famous on TV started to flock over to YouTube, and YouTube was pressured by all these big corporations to basically cater to them. And so now, because YouTube also wants to be family-friendly oriented, they have restricted a lot of stuff you can't curse you can't report on certain subjects that are too controversial it's too much it's gotten too much so people like okay perfect example a group i think i talked about on this podcast called uh, dads against predators they are an independent group that seeks out pedophiles and tries to uh catch them chat and like the, the it's kind of like to catch a predator they they create a decoy chat them up and then meet up with them and then question them on their behavior and then catch them on camera the only thing i don't like that they do is that they kind of create a scene because they'll start screaming off the top of their lungs like excuse me everybody this man's here to meet up however age child i don't agree with that i don't agree with creating attention because anything could happen and you might be held responsible but that's what they do they kept getting removed from YouTube because of uh, certain lines or certain dialogue in the videos. So now they have to be on Rumble. It's a shame. Yeah. So, yeah, YouTube's just way too restrictive. It's, like, very stifling. Yeah, one of the changes I would have for Rumble, I, I wish you could upload videos, like, back-to-back -back all at once. Like, like you say, you upload one video, but then once that upload finishes, you should have an like another upload ready right after that one you don't have to always have to refresh the page just to put up a new video mm. okay i don't even know if youtube still does that youtube would used to do that but it's been a while since i've ever uploaded back-to-back -back videos um but yeah i think they still I would have that but the first time i started to notice that youtube was a really stifling platform was in 2009 when they created this new uh 
layout for your profile and it was not a very well designed layout and people like myself were not comfortable with it and YouTube showed it off and worded it in such a way that said if you're not comfortable with it that's okay because we're going to force you to use this profile come so and so date you won't have the option to use the old one which I thought was a real asinine maneuver and they, and they got to figure out how, how they, we can upload larger uh, video files that are more than 15 gigabytes for my ex I can't upload certain shows on, uh, on the COH Rumble account oh interesting why because of length yeah, the video file's files too big. I can't upload Ultimate Glory 2. Uh, or any or any of the Ultimate Glory uh, shows for that matter. If they're larger than 15 gigabytes, then um, unless I break into parts, and I'm not going to do that. Interesting. Um, yeah, when it comes to YouTube, the only thing they did right was that in the beginning, you only had 10-minute uploads. But I remember there was like something you fill out for like a partnership where if you could upload videos longer than 10 minutes and nine times out of 10 they'll just approve you this was like back in 2006 that's why back in the day i was able to upload videos longer than 10 minutes everyone would ask like how did how were you able to do that i'm like this is why yeah you cast yeah, you, you got him before they made the changes yeah and the change was the partnership with youtube so but yeah, that's uh, that's where we're heading with these social apps. I hope uh, you know YouTube. I doubt it, but because they're so they're so corporate now, they're not going back to the way they once were. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, Rumble can fill in that void that YouTube was you know once had, like 15 years ago. Now, Rumble yeah. is not perfect, as I mentioned. They still have clinks to work out. You know, uploading video larger video files, and uh, yeah, that's kind of where we are now with that. It's Barbenheimer weekend. Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer. Oppenheimer and the Barbie movies have released in theaters. Greta Gerwig's Barbie film and Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. And they're making a lot of money. It's considered to be the fourth largest, largest box office weekend in history. Could you believe it? People are willing to go to the movies, Steve. Yeah. Um, well, these movies, both of them were heavily hyped. Yes, this, both of these films had a lot of hype behind them. Oppenheimer opened with $175 million worldwide with a budget of just $100 million. And Barbie opened with $337 million worldwide with a budget of a $145 million. Good for them. I mean, I heard Barbie, if it is the case of it being super woke, consider this the uh, clapping right twice a day for the woke community. They finally got a movie that was successful. I guess sooner or later even a blind squirrel finds his first nut. Well, in this case, uh, people who made this movie can't find their nuts because they're tucked inside their fucking crotch. Yeah, they're tucked and wearing their Target tuck wear. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I never really had any plans to see the Barbie movie just because they don't have the Barbie girl theme in there. That's blasphemous. Yeah, I mean, we, we rewrote told that story that the company, Mattel, despises that song, but I, I thought maybe at least for fanfare, maybe we'll just hit her go quick, I'm a Barbie girl! <sighs> Life in plastic. It's fantastic. Like, can you imagine Margot Robbie lip-syncing that song? 
And she was begging the, she was begging the studio to put that song in the movie. Well, yeah, because she's of our age rank, so we grew up with that song. So she probably has sentimental value to that song as much as you and I do. Anybody who grew up in the 90s has sentimental value to that song. So it's like, I can imagine she begged them to put it in, and I guess it was futile. Yeah. Can't, like... Do you not know what the fans want? Can't you just put your fucking differences aside? Because the fans... You gotta get the people what they want. Yeah. Such good shit. But, uh, yeah, um... I don't see myself going out of my way to see Barbie. Maybe for Oppenheimer, but Oppenheimer is a three-hour movie, so I know I'm gonna... I have to, like, prepare myself mentally for that. Like, I'm gonna be here for a while. Yeah. Um... I don't know. I'll see these movies one day eventually they get released, but I don't. I don't know if I'm gonna go out of my way to see them in theaters. I mean, unless you like someone twists my arm and they're going. It's gotta be one of those situations. Ah, uh, ha- yeah. But I'm happy that these films are doing well to show to it show that people are so willing to go to the movie theaters to see something that they want to see. I, I mean, in one film that's still dominating the box office is the independent film uh, *Sound of Freedom*. I yeah. saw last weekend, and I I didn't realize it was over. It was it's a little over two hours. It, the the movie flew by so fast, right? I thought it was like a ninety minute movie. Yeah. But, uh, it tackles the subject of uh, child trafficking, and um, one thing I did not know at the end of the film, I don't want to give away too much, but they said that you know, the human trafficking industry is a hundred fifty billion dollar business, way more than drugs. Because there was a quote in the film, the guy said, you know, with drugs, you can only sell that once. But with a child, you could sell them five times a day. Fucked. And then just multiply that over ten years. Uh, Yo, I don't even want to think about that, man. Think about that, yeah. Um, The film's PG-13. They don't show the actual act itself. Um, it's not like a situation, a film like Hostel, or even a film we reviewed on here, Cannibal Holocaust. Like, you actually see the turtle get killed for shock value. There's no, there's none of that in this movie, which I'm glad they... Serbian film? Or Serbian film, yeah, like... They, they set up the situation, but then they may show something else, and then in your mind you figure, oh my god. That's kind of what they did here. I'm glad, you know, like, they didn't do anything for the sake of shock value, but they basically picked your set up the situation without actually showing it mm-hmm. okay um i think it's a film that everybody should see i think it's an important film um and the fact that it's being considered a conspiracy theory by some that this like this is happening is completely ridiculous because literally in the opening credits of the film they show surveillance footage of kids just being snatched off the streets by random people being thrown in the vans, just snatching kids and them running away. It's it's a very sick world that we live in. And I would think 99.9% of the human population would be against this. This yeah. isn't a right versus left issue. It's just simply right versus wrong. Good versus evil. This is a family issue. These are kids. They always got to turn it into a right versus left thing like anything like this has to turn into right versus left it, that's just the way it is because they don't want 
people to figure out that they're being duped. Why do you think that nobody has released the names that were on Jeffrey Epstein's island? That's the sca- a- yeah. That's that's very scary. It's a very scary thought because everybody knows that Jeffrey Epstein did not kill himself. We know this, but nobody's putting in forth the effort to figure out who the fuck was on his island. You would think we would want to know and, and put them off the street. And notice that people who rape children do not get as much time as somebody who kills a motherfucker. That's crazy to me. Or, or, or goes to jail because they were selling weed or get caught with marijuana. It's a sick fucking world. How, how can people be like that? To a child? I feel like Sinbad after uh, he walks away when the bomb actually goes off and doing all the way. It's a sick world we live in with sick people. Yeah, that's like I've I've been watching some like videos of like other. I'm not going to go into detail on this on this, but I've seen videos of celebrities doing things for children in other parts of the country, and then all these cases start coming out about what's happening over there, and it really makes you wonder. Why would they do these things over there when we have problems here in our own country? They could be doing the same thing. And is it because it's happening on the other side of the world that they know they could get away with it? It merely really makes you wonder who's on that list. These these are probably people that we we may have respected in the entertainment industry for so, for so long. Yeah. It is weird. It's getting bad. It's scary. Yeah. Because, for those that don't know, Sound of Freedom was a film that's going to be distributed by uh, 20th Century Fox years ago. The film was shot five years ago, back in 2018. Yeah. But it's just that when Disney bought 20th Century Fox, they had no plans of distributing the film. They, they wanted nothing to do, and it really makes you wonder why. Especially for the fact that Disney's all about kids, loving kids, imagination and all that shit. You would think they would have no problem just, you know, releasing a movie like this that puts the subject on this big issue that's happening. We want to protect kids. But yet Disney wanted nothing to do with that. So the director basically had to buy the distribution rights. And then and then when he got the rights, he was trying to sell it off to other people who wanted to distribute the film. He went to Netflix. He went to Hulu. He even went back to Disney. And they all said no. I wouldn't go back to Disney if they already rejected it the first time. What makes you think they ain't going to reject it a second time? So another, so he went to a uh, another studio, Angel Studios, who was willing to distribute the film. Angel Studios, I um, they've been around for a while. They're more of like a faith-based studio. But they were willing right. to, uh, to do the film because they realized, oh my God, this is a very important issue we need to touch upon. But Angel Studios is no Disney. I mean, and they still, and they ended up crowdfunding the movie. For distribution rights so they could, you know, distribute it themselves to theaters. And that's what they did. Good for them. Because now they're putting all the subject to light. And I think it really does need to be brought to light. Yeah, a budget of $16 million and is now already surpassed $100 million worldwide. Good. When I went to see the film, I when I went to go to the popcorn stand, the guys, the concession guy, guy was like, damn. Like, not even this many people even went to see Ant-Man. Yet they all want to see, you know, Sound of Freedom. Ant-Man. Who wants to see Ant-Man? <laughs> when I went into my theater, uh, it was pa- it wasn't 100% packed, but at least a good 80 80 85% it was filled. 
We all, were watch, you know, we all sat there, watched the trailers, and then they showed a trailer to the Haunted Mansion. The guy next to me is like, oh, God, it's Disney. I don't trust those guys. I was like, yeah. I said to him, like, yeah, this is going to flop. No, who the hell is going to want to see Haunted Mansion? He's like, yeah. Yeah, so based film, on the ride. Yeah, yep, based on, yep, a film based on the ride. They did the 2003 movie, Eddie Murphy, and now they're doing it again. Uh, it's going to flop. Disney, uh, this is not their year. <laughs> this hasn't been their year a couple years. Yeah. I mean, the only film that up there said that was, uh, I guess you could say it was a hit, was the Last Guardians movie. Yeah. It's been a minute. Yeah. But yeah, I saw the movie. At the end credits, we had a great message from Jim Caviezel about the whole issue of child trafficking and what we can do to stop it. Uh, he linked to a cause that is trying to put a stop to this. It was a great, it was like a little three-minute video message. It was a great video message. Um, and again, he says, you know, this isn't about me. This isn't about the character I played. It's about saving children. Now is a big quote of the film. God's kids are not for sale. And the way he delivered it, was, it's a great line. And it's very yeah. true. You, you know, it, this, is, this isn't a right versus left. This isn't even a religious issue. It's just a basic, you can't be doing this to kids. This is like the worst thing you could commit. Yeah, it's way up there next to taking a life. Yeah, I mean, I would think, you would think it's a no-brainer. Everybody would be against this cause, but now you see all these sto- all these articles, and it's just... Oh, man, it's just... I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Yeah, don't we have some movies to rank? Yeah, you're right. Let's rank some movies. Let's Let's get to this list. We, we have reviewed 50 films within our past 50 episodes, starting with our first film, Misery, which we did, you know, for the late James Caan, all the way up to our uh, most recent episode, Benny Loves You. That is correct. And we now, have, we have to rank them. We gotta rank them. We're gonna do our 10 favorite films and our 10 worst films. Favorite films, well, these are more personal. These may not be the greatest movies of all times, but these may be 10 films that we both, that we love personally, that we may recommend to others. And of course, 10 films that we thought were just fucking trash. Correct. Who's How do you want to do this? this I'll do my worst and my best. Now, my worst I have ranked in order from, you know, number one being the absolute crap, the crapper. And the 10, my favorite, I did not rank them. But I'll just name them anyway, and then I'll give a little summary, and then I guess you can give your thoughts, or then give your list. But my number 10 for my favorite that we've done on here, a film that you did not like at all, which really made me scratch my head, and you thought it was boring, that's Exorcist 3, Legion. I've always liked this movie. I think it's it's a severely underrated film, an underrated sequel, has the greatest jump scare of all time with the uh, those garden clippers to the nurse great scene great uh, little score that they put in there eh, very loud scary it always scared me as little and still kind of scares me today exorcist 3 george scott I, lo- I love him in his role and for my number 10 for the worst film that we've done i think this was a film that you chose this was during our christmas holiday uh christmas season to summer we kind of do a gimmick theme review christmas movies mrs claus what the fuck? Mm. <laughs> Such a dumb movie. 
hated it. The the poster is misleading. It makes it look like it's some demon female Mrs. Claus, or in reality it's just some guy in a mask. Or maybe some girl in a mask. I, I barely remember the thing. It was so stupid. I wanted to forget as quickly as I can. Dumb movie. Alrighty. So, both of my lists are ranked from 10 to 1. And, uh, yeah. So, we're doing our favorite and then the worst. Or vice versa. Uh, you could, uh, however you want to do it. I did my favorite, then my least favorite. You could, you could do the same thing if you want. I guess we'll do it okay. that way. It's easier. All right. So, my 10th favorite on this list was a movie that I was not expecting to really enjoy, but I did. And I'm glad I watched it. It was uh, Jurassic World. I thought this was very entertaining. And it brought some new life to the Jurassic Park franchise because this was the first movie in like 15 years since the uh, Jurassic Park 3 that came out in 2000, 2001-ish. And it was not exactly a retelling because it does follow up from Jurassic Park 3. It's just mostly an original cast. And I think they did a fine job trying to redo the roots of what made Jurassic Park really good, but giving it its own flavor because it's 2015 updated uh, cinematography. Uh, so, yeah, I really enjoyed this film, and I presume it only goes downhill from here. And number 10 for the worst films, you sat there and said that Exorcist 3 is an underrated classic. Well, it makes the top 10 worst. Number 10 is Exorcist 3. Very boring. Was not interested. And if it didn't have that character from the Dimi Dimi, I don't, wouldn't be able to tell that this was an Exorcist film. It was just not interesting. It was whatever it was. I can't. I got very bored. I got very sidetracked. I couldn't. It couldn't keep my attention. And that jump scare that you're talking about, you're a fucking pussy, along with all those other fucking pussies <laughs> that made that Snow White film. Fucking pussy. Wow, you compared me to the makers of Snow White. I, I, I'm starting to question you. Wow. When you say that, that was a great jump scare. I'm hurt. <laughs> my brain is hurt as well. I would have been okay with you just calling me a pussy, but you compared me to the makers of the new Snow White. That, you took it too far, pal. You crossed the line. <laughs> what is this, TNA now? <laughs> Impact Wrestling, I'm sorry. Whatever, what the, whatever the hell they are. Yes. Well, I mentioned The Exorcist for the best films we've done on here. Number nine only makes sense. The original Exorcist. I mean, what mm. what I say about it that hasn't been said? This film is um is iconic. I mean, it started a whole new subgenre of horror with uh, I guess with possession movies of uh, demons possessing a human, uh, whether it be a little girl, a boy, man, woman. I mean, it all started with this film, The Exorcist, directed by someone who doesn't do horror films. I believe to this day is the only horror movie he's ever made. Well, he did direct episodes of Tales from the Crypt. He did this on TV credits, but... I mean, the film's iconic. I mean, it scared people when it was out. Still scares people to this day. My father says it's his favorite horror movie of all time. The classic Exorcist. One of, one of the most profitable movies to this day of all time by Warner Brothers. And it's a horror movie. Mm -hmm. And number nine for one of the worst films we've done. Thanks Killing. This, uh, this did not work for me. I mean, these kind of films can be hit and miss. I mean, we've done cheesy films that were fun. 
And unfortunately, this was not fun for me. This was way too cheesy and way too long. Uh, 90 minutes doesn't seem like a long time for a film, but something like this, yeah, this dragged. This really dragged out. The cheesiness just wasn't there for me. Sorry, thanks, Kellen. That doesn't work for me, brother. So, my number nine, top ten films that we did. Uh, this is a very easy watch, and it was, I don't know if original is the right term, but it did have some originality attached to it. Unfriended. Really can watch this film with ease a lot. Because it's a 90-minute film that doesn't feel like 90 minutes. Uh, the mere fact of a bunch of kids that caused a girl to commit suicide and then she comes back to haunt them on Skype. It was a new inventive way to really make this. And I think Unfriended kind of planted the seeds to... Um, what was that movie? I think we reviewed it on this podcast with John Cho. Searching, I think it was called. Where it had that same premise of everything being on a computer. So I really, really, really enjoyed Unfriended. And every time I watch it, I enjoy the hell out of this film. So everything is good with that. Number nine of the worst films. You already mentioned it, Mrs. Claus. I was kind of disappointed that it wasn't some uh, cheesy Mrs. Claus that comes back from the dead, kind of similar to that of uh, Bill Goldberg being an evil Santa Claus. <laughs> Very upset that that was not the case. It actually was a little bit more realistic. So, yeah, that's my number nine. I can't really say much about Mrs. Claus. So I'm with you on that. Well, as I mentioned, when my best films are not ranked, so I'm just going to go up this list here. Uh, number eight, I'm going to go with the French film Inside. A uh, pregnant woman loses her baby in a car crash and is now single, celebrating the holidays by herself just months after her uh, unfortunate tragedy. When a woman uh, stalks her, tries to kill her, and we find out later that she was a car that she crashed into. She was pregnant as well. And she... Oh, no, no, no. She lost her baby. But the woman I lost her husband, husband she didn't lose her baby. She thought she was going to be a single mother. And the woman wanted to kill her because she basically felt like, you owe me a family. And yeah. uh, this was very graphic. This was violent. I saw this about a year ago on Shudder, and I really enjoyed it. And then just rewatching it again. Uh, I don't know if we did this during a hol as one of our holiday movies, but this obviously this everything takes place on Christmas Eve and it's a very violent film. I really enjoyed this. There is a remake that exists in America that they remade and it's a piece of crap. And I don't know if we're gonna ever review it. Probably not. Maybe for the better because I don't want to get pissed off. But I do recommend the French film Inside. Very good. As for the worst film, number eight I have on here is a film that um. I didn't like it, but I didn't like it, but I think you hated it more than I did. I thought there was something here, but they really could have done a lot better with it. Pro wrestlers versus zombies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, distributed by uh, Trauma Pictures. They could have done more with this. They could have done a lot better with it. I mean, I, I understand it was low budget, but, you know, we, we review low budget films on here, so. It just wasn't that good. It, it wasn't good. It could have been a lot better. It could have been a lot more cheesy. It could have been a lot more fun, but they uh, they missed the mark here. Number eight for me is... It was an interesting film because I did not go go into this film thinking that I was going to enjoy this. But it really warmed up to me as, as the film went on was The Menu. Really had fun with this film. It was, just, it was one of those movies that just got more intriguing as it went on. Um, 
it, it's it's a weird flick because it's got a little bit of comedy elements to it. And Ralph Fiennes plays a great chef. And the whole premise of the film, I, I don't remember it being that graphic. There was blood and all that stuff, but I don't remember anything being too gross out to the point where I don't think most people can stomach this film. But there was a lot of real bizarre shit with this one where this corrupt chef who just lost his mind is now going to kill a bunch of people after they have this big meal. It's a very interesting film to say the least. It's it's a film you can't really take seriously, like too seriously because uh, the comedy. And as far as the eighth worst film, you already mentioned it, Pro Wrestlers vs. Zombies. My problem with this film was that it tried to be serious. It was There was a couple of comedy elements, but very few and far between. It should have been just straight up self-aware of how stupid a concept it is. Pro wrestlers fighting zombies. Kurt Angle putting an ankle lock on a fucking zombie. Hacksaw Jim Duggan with a damn two-by-four. Now, this was before Matt Hardy started doing the delete gimmick, but if they would have waited a couple years when he was doing that, and then do this movie. But then again, Roddy Piper died in 2015, so they would have lost Roddy Piper. This movie would have served better as a real over-the-top comedy. Instead, it just was too serious. So, yeah. Pro Wrestlers vs. Zombies was very disappointing. Well, uh, that was number eight. Okay, we're on number seven. Correct. Number seven I have for my favorite films we've done is an, another low-budget uh, independent film, Maniacs, uh, starring Jeff Fahey. Uh, he plays a serial killer who uh, gets locked to a uh, mental institution. He meets another girl who's, who is also a killer, and uh, they end up falling in love, and then they realize they uh, want to leave this place because the people taking care of them don't really give a shit about them. They treat them pretty bad. It's a, it's a bit of social commentary about how, I guess, how people may be treating these mental institutions. I've been inspired by, uh, what's the one, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in a way. Mixed in mm. with, um, you know, it's it adds a bit of a satire to it as well. It has its little comedy moments, but it doesn't take you out of the film. It's a very well done movie. I mean, the only fortune is that I don't think it's ever been, ever had an HD release, re-release of it. I mean, it kind of has like that VHS quality take to it. I mean, quality isn't terrible, but you know, it's not HD. I mean, I, you can watch it on YouTube. I'm pretty sure it's available probably on Tubi as well. It's a very well done film. Um, good acting. Uh, I just wish it's just a film. I think that it needs more eyes on it. More people need to watch and be aware of them. Be aware of it. It's a very good movie. Underrated. Uh, and for my number seven worst film that we've done on here, it's a film that uh, came out this year. Um, I was quite disappointed with it, and that's uh, Cocaine Bear. Mm. I mean, just the title of the film alone sounds like something you watch on the Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, Elizabeth Banks, I mean, obviously she's trying to recover from that god-awful Charlie's Angels uh, remake she did. I guess she's trying to prove to Hollywood that she could still be a director that could do these kind of movies. Um, it had its little moments, but overall, I just thought this was very uh, lackluster for me. Um, and it just sucks because this was Ray Liotta's final film, and then this is the film he's got to go out on, unfortunately. A film that tries to be funny, it at the same time it tries to teach, have a theme about motherhood. It was just very weird. Just the tone there just didn't make sense with me. I mean, it's a, it's a fucking bear. Everybody knows, like, going into this, it's going to be very cheesy, very, uh, it should have been more like Tremors. 
or even something like Snakes on a Plane. That's the direction they should have gone there. But um, yeah, I was just I was just very disappointed with Cocaine Bear. I mean, the the medic scene was very fun, but that was really that's really the only highlight that this film has for me. Uh, very disappointing. <clears throat> okay, so that was your number seven. My number seven, greatest film that we did. This film was charming as all hell, and I was very shocked to really love this, but it was very fun. It was Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Loved the comedy in this fucking film. I still got to show this to the better half. The whole premise of these two, like, ob not obnoxious, but goofballs who are rednecks, who the, uh, the, the frat people think that are these evil people and they try to stop them and they die in the most inconspicuous ways and it convinces the other frat people that they are killers. It was just really charmingly done. It was a very fun film. I was not bored at all through this. Very enjoyable. One of the, the better comedy, like over-the-top comedy movies that we have done since the inception of Fractured Skull. So I, I definitely put it up there with the likes of uh, Suburban Sasquatch and Kill Pinata. It, it belongs on that list. It's very fun. And Seven, I really don't have much to say about this film. It was very boring. Nothing really much to say about it. I think it's one of our uh, shorter reviews was Ragdoll. Not yeah. much to say about this. Just was what it was. Well, heading over to number six of my favorite films that we've done here. Note, since you, you said it, in fact, I'm going to just cut kind of, These are my number sixes. Uh, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Very fun. It's one of the very few films that balances both comedy and horror perfectly. Uh, it's a very funny movie. The cast is great. I, I loved everything about this film. It's definitely an underrated movie. I think everybody should watch Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. And and it's also on my list as well for worst films. Ragdoll. This was distributed by uh, Blue Moon Features, Blue Moon Studios, whatever you want to call them. Uh, this did not do it for me at all. I was very bored with it, and I was just God. I was just. This is, I remember telling you this is going to be a quick review because I ain't got much to say about it. It was just boring and it was stupid. Yeah. Those are my number sixes. Number six for me, uh, greatest film. I went into this and I was surprised at how much I really enjoyed this film. I debated up putting it higher, but. The films that I put above it, I think you'll understand why I did. But I was debating on putting this higher. It's Tales from the Hood. Love ah. I love this. This There was not one bad story in this one. It was a very fun film. Social commentary that didn't shove it in your face that you, the white person, are the problem. It showed a bunch of uh, accountability. plus it, Just everything. All the stories were intriguing. They They had some sort of social commentary that made sense. I definitely want to watch this again. Like, just talking about it makes me want to watch it again. Some of the horror elements were very well done. Like, the little dolls that uh, represented the slaves that lived in that house from that politician that just kept treating everybody like shit. And then the kid who had uh, a monster at his house that you come to realize is a stepfather. A lot of social commentary that I really enjoyed of this. Tales from the Hood is such a great film. Don't let the, the title fool you. It, it really is really well done. It is probably one of the best predominantly black horror films ever made. Bar none. It's very good. As far as number six worst films, you're going to hate me when I put this on this list, but <sighs> Benny Loves You. Oh. It didn't do it for me. 
it didn't do it for me. The 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 over the top wackiness should have been from the lack of budget from the dolls moving around and guy spent too much time on it and it killed the the overall effect on it and like with exorcist maybe not as bad but then again this is higher on the list because it the humor just didn't hit for me it should have been low budget it should have been very low budget for this to work and the problem is the guy spent a lot of time on it so (gasps) i put this as number six well Number five, well, I mean, I guess I'll, I'm also just get out of the way since you said it. Like I said, my number five with my best is not in order. It's just 10 favorite films I liked. But with the best, you already said it, Tales in the Hood. I might as well just get it out of the way now. I mean, we already mentioned the social commentary that each tale had, and they were all different. And it shows both the flaws from both the whites and the blacks, how the whites as cops treated the black community. And with the last story, how the blacks treat themselves with the black on black crime, um, and, you know, we've mentioned in our review, uh, you know, some older black folks feel that black on black crime is worse than poli- uh, police brutality. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you know, the film tackles other issues. And for the fact that it's such a fun movie, it's only it's a 90 minute movie. I think the ending with the devil is probably one of my favorite endings of all time. Just the way it was executed, the way it was done, it is so fucking cheesy. It's so fun at the same time. I wish there was a clear HD quality of that scene on YouTube. You can't find it. Someone, you may see like a, a webcam of them recording the ending, but then it gets cut. But everything about that en- uh, ending and just the movie in, in general is so great. I, great soundtrack, great scenes, great stories. Each story has something different and unique. Uh, it's one of my favorite anthology films of all time. It's one of my favorite horror films of the 90s. I think it's a very important film for even for black culture. Mm-hmm. Black culture, uh, black horror. I think the film does a lot. It's just, again, just not enough people have seen it. It needs more eyes. And of course, this was right at the height of Tales in the Crypt. Where horror anthology seemed like they were very popular, were a thing, and I think Tales in the Hood was the perfect movie that came out at that time. And a lot of those stories have are, are still very, very relevant today as they were in the '90s. I think the film has aged very well. Mm-hmm. More people need to see it. And as for my number five for worst films we've done, Halloween Six. Hmm. The fact that Jamie, uh, not Jamie, uh, Jamie is played by a different actress. I mean, we already covered that, but the fact that they killed their character so early in the film, the mask looks like shit. <laughs> and just the overall direction of, you know, of the film. I mean, I, you know, Donald Pleasance died. I get that, but him, his death, unfortunately, really hurt the film. It seemed like they didn't know how to end the movie, where they were going to go to the point we had two versions of the same movie. And both versions really suck. So uh, I was not satisfied with Halloween 6. Not not my movie. But we did get introduced to Paul Rudd. So at least there's something. Alright, so we're on number 5. Number 5 is a very classic film to the point where I had to buy two shirts from Universal because of how much I enjoyed this film. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Ah. I think you said this was the last of the original Universal Studios monster horror characters, but very well done. Very well done on how they made the costume and how it made it look creepy and made him look like an actual creature. 
and again this film follows the whole story like the whole pacing of let's build these characters up before we get to the horror part which was that creature that finally comes in and where they trap him and all the other stuff that happens in between very very well done classic horror film um yeah not much to say there and number five of the worst you mentioned it earlier thanks killing so much potential with this one a killer turkey the killer turkey talks which i guess could be goofy in a way but i think it would have been funnier if the, the turkey just gobble gobbled but no yeah this turkey talked like it was in modern days like come on could have done a little better oh yeah i forgot about that yeah the, the turkey had like modern yeah yeah so that's my number five well number four for me i'm um, just going up my list here may a great character study film. I thought Angela Be- uh, Betis knocked it out of park playing this socially awkward uh, young woman named May. Never had any luck with a, in a relationship growing up. When she finally gets into one, she uh, really doesn't know how to play the part of a girlfriend. Uh, she just tries way too hard, and she has a fascination with a fortune with killing. She yeah. kills cats and eventually you know she gets kind of ousted out by everyone she's uh surrounding herself with to the point she kind of goes on a killing spree and tries to build herself a new doll with body parts it's a very weird movie but i think it's it's very well done came out 2001 2002 you kind of get a young anna ferris before she kind of blew up to being a big star uh everyone is great in their roles it's a underrated indie film I like the soundtrack as well. I'm, I'm a soundtrack kind of guy. I just love that early 2000s rock indie sound that that was out at that time. I really liked May. Check it out. Uh, hopefully, it should be on Shutter for those that have Shutter. It's on Tubi. It's 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 always gonna be on Tubi. Seems like that movie never leaves Tubi. And for my number four, the worst, another Halloween movie, Halloween Five. Fucking Tina. Hmm. I hate. I, I, you know, I really liked Halloween 4. I did. But this was such a terrible follow-up to that film. Obviously, behind the scenes, they got new writers, new directors. The same people didn't stay on board because I don't think they were signed on to a long-term contract. I think, I think they thought it was just going to be a one-off movie. But number four turned out to be a hit. But by that time they tried to get them back, they all moved on to other projects. So they had to get a bunch of numbnuts to make Halloween 5. And that's the, and that was the movie we got. Tina was very annoying. I hated the new characters. Such a letdown. And, and one characters that we did like from the fourth film were killed off very early on. And we were stuck with these freaking crappy people. Yeah. Well, funny enough, yeah, those don't make either of my list. Um, May, I would say, is a honorable mention as far as great films. But unfortunately, did not. I did not put that on the list when writing this. Because I do remember giving it a glowing review. And Halloween 5 nor Halloween 6 make either of my lists. But number 4 is far my favorite. We are number 4, yeah. Yes, sir. Of my favorite films that we've done. <laughs> I don't know how serious you're going to take me when I say this. Tusk. <laughs> I love Tusk. I love the concept of a fucking man getting turned into a goddamn walrus. There is something so perversely fucking weird about it that is so awesome. I love this. I I, I know you don't like the Johnny Depp portions of it, 
but this film there's just something about it like a lot of people are disturbed by it and as i said if i had seen this as a teenager which would have been impossible because this movie came out when i was in my mid-20s but had it come out when i was a teenager and i saw it then when i still could find horror movies that could fuck me up i probably would have but i saw it much later after seeing so much horror films that it's just it's one of those movies it's one of those movies you're either gonna like laugh hysterically or be fucking disturbed i don't know if there's an in-between it is great a man gets turned into a walrus it's amazing as far as uh number four worst film we've done evil dead rise this film was <laughs> fucking boring it was nonsensical none of the characters mattered they just it it sucked this was worse than the remake they did in 2013. I was bored. None of the characters were enjoyable. You already know this. I couldn't figure out the gender of some of the kids. <laughs> like, this is getting bad now. <laughs> like, at this rate, because uh, now we gotta alert people of our pronouns. Why didn't they just alert us of their pronouns before the movie started? Anyways. Evil Dead Rise, number four. Worst film. Nope, none of those movies have made my list. Um, <laughs> the gender of the kids. Yes. God damn it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, number three of, of our favorites that we've done on here. I'm going to go with They Live. John Carpenter's They Live starring Hot Rod Roddy Piper. Oh, you just changed your cover photo to Roddy Piper. Good timing. Yeah, because he died in July of 2015, and our friend Max, we have to film something, and I've been watching a lot of Roddy Piper promos to inspire my character for. So. Roddy Piper, one of the great heels ever in our in the wrestling business, but um, you know, he took a break after WrestleMania three to film this movie. They live about a man um, just you know trying to find a job, just trying to earn himself a decent living. Finds these glasses, puts them on. It's almost like he's taken to uh, the upside down world, I guess you can say, sorts of like this alternate reality where everyone's almost like a slave. Obey. This is your God. All these, you know, corporate social uh, corporate advertisements. And it's, a, and it's a theme on on corporate media and how they uh, use a consumer fan base to basically consume, consume, consume. Don't ask questions. Uh, just consume more product and you know we're living in this earth where the world is being taken over by aliens in disguise and just give roddy piper a shotgun he's gonna fix it he's gonna take them all out one at a time i love to kick ass and chew bubble gum but i'm all out of bubble gum a line that he uh improvised on that scene great movie uh, one of my favorite one of my favorite carpenter films still very re relevant today has aged very well and number three of the worst we've ever done is this fucking piece of crap movie that I remember you brought it up when we first started doing this podcast. We finally got around to it. Fucking ATM. God damn it. <laughs> this movie pissed me off. There are bad movies. And there are bad movies that, like, at the end of it, I'm like, that really upset me. Like, that kind of ruined my night. And that's what ATM is. It's such a dumbass movie. The characters are so stupid. The situation is stupid. Everything about it doesn't make sense. Dumb 
dumb, dumb. I hate, I hate it. I hated it. I hate this movie. Okay. Uh, number three of the best films we ever did. A fucking classic. One of the greatest films of all time. King Kong. Loved the it. The original King Kong. Because you can clearly tell that if you watch Jurassic Park, where Steven Spielberg got a lot of his inspiration from, was from King Kong. Um, even to this day, yeah, some of the stop animation is a little bit uh, cheesy compared to today. But if you think about it from the 1930s perspective of the audience watching King Kong in the movie theater, they probably were fucking flabbergasted at what they were seeing because it was so ahead of its time. A lot of what was going on in that movie was so ahead of its time. I could imagine what the audience were thinking. I could imagine if audience members were fainting from what they were seeing because of how just capturing it was. And a lot of the scenes when everybody's running away from King Kong and all the dinosaurs and all that stuff, I, it, it's literally Jurassic Park took from that and, and, and evolved it. So this is a very revolutionary film, a film that should be preserved till the end of time. 100%. For a 30s movie and what they did, absolutely fantastic. Love King Kong. Uh, and as far as the number three worst film we have ever done, the only Halloween film on my bad list is Halloween Ends. This film was... I don't know what this was. I was hoping to enjoy it, but the fact that Michael's barely in the film, he's barely a, a, a part of the film, and this Corey character becomes Michael, and then it just all amounts to nothing. This is dumb. And then, didn't this film end with "Don't Fear the Reaper" as part of the, the the credits? Like, like as if that's going to make up for the other hour and forty minutes of this atrocious vomit that we watched. Yeah, it was just like at this point that 2018 film should have been it, but you kept going, and. The Halloween film prior to it brought back all these old characters just to kill them off, and then you bring this. It's just like this film made no sense whatsoever. It was it was stupid. Number three, Halloween ends, and I hope to God it does end. You say it ends, I say it begins again. <laughs> what is this WrestleMania twenty? <laughs> Well, number two for my favorites, it's a Christmas horror film that we did. Um, I know you didn't care for it too much, but I really, this is a film that grew on me the more I watch it, and that's Krampus. Uh, family uh, family has everyone over for the holidays, but it's like they're all very dysfunctional and like in a comedic sort of way. But the, the little kid just had enough. And now it's his one Christmas, Christmas list is that he just wanted them all to go away. And uh, that was the worst thing you could have done because you didn't just summon Santa Claus. You summoned his demon counterpart, Krampus. And we get introduced to all his little uh, minions, all his little friends. A little bit of CGI mixed with practical effects which is what helped really make this film for me. And I really enjoyed this movie. It had some really good characters. I felt a lot of characters kind of came through in the end to, you know, try to save the family. But in, and the ending of the film has a let you know is a big question mark or what you know what you think was the deal the kid made with Krampus, and I think it's a very well done film. It's a very fun film. It is there's no boring moments of the movie. It's very fun and I think it's underrated. More people should uh, again another one of those more a film needs more eyes on it. And uh, as for my number two of the worst, you already mentioned it. Halloween ends. 
I mean, uh, this film had a lot of hype going into it because this is supposedly the last Halloween movie again until someone says, you say it ends, I say it begins again. Until who knows what they're going to do with the Halloween franchise next. But hopefully this is the end because this was not the end that we all wanted. They gave us a whole new storyline with uh, Corey and... I don't know, it almost felt like something out of like Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. How he kind of wrote Michael Myers as a kid. It kind of kind of felt like they took elements from that and gave it to Corey. Um, this would have been fine in a different movie. But this wasn't the film... This wasn't the Halloween ending that we wanted. And as you mentioned... I mentioned here as well, I mean, they should only been two movies. Instead, they made it a trilogy. Uh, they should have ended it with the last one. It all should have ended on the same night, 40 years later, at the hospital. Corey and Michael had the final standoff. And the fact that Michael is still able to survive after being attacked by a freaking giant angry mob was, was really ridiculous and ludicrous. And here, it, uh, it, it just wasn't the movie that... I wanted to see it was very bad I didn't like it at all it sucked fuck you Blumhouse you dropped the ball with this and now you're gonna drop the ball with this new Exorcist trilogy that you guys are doing the same director too uh, David Gordon Green is gonna be making those so my number two favorite film is another classic that we reviewed on here and I'm glad we reviewed it the very first Exorcist film this is a film that stands the test of time I remember me and Anto got into a back and forth about this because she thought that Jaws was uh, the film that deserved to win. What was it, VH1 Top 100 Scariest? And I said, no, nah. Jaws does not hold the, the standing power that freaking Exorcist does. Exorcist to this day, after the 70s, could still hold up and still reign supreme as far as horror. This film is just very scary. The thought of a girl being possessed by a demon and then having to have two uh, priests having to try and, and expel this demon out of her. It's its a very frightening thing, especially if you are religious. I'm not even religious and it's very freaky to me. Like that is, there was a lot of great cinematography here. There was a lot of uh, just very scary stuff that was very revolutionary. As you said, she took a cross and, and rubbed it up against her crotch. It's, it's pretty fucked up it's a pretty fucked up film especially the vomiting and all that stuff that's where it really gets fucked up but yeah probably one of the greatest horror films ever made as your father said he's his favorite horror film and it's up there for me and as for the number two worst you already mentioned it atm it stands for a terrible movie <laughs> it's it really is i mean josh peck breaks in to the, uh, the, the big screen by starring in this piece of crap where three people are in an ATM and some guy is stalking them and just a lot of stupid shit involved. Nobody wants to run away and split up. The guy ends up killing them or at least killing two of them. And then the killer is like planning his next attack. It's like, it just was so left unsatisfying very bland movie very boring very dumb it pissed me off at the time when i first watched it but when i watched it the second time and you were already angry i was like okay i'll let him take his anger out on this one <laughs> that's it atm's my number two fuck fuck that movie yeah 
Well, my number one of a favorite film that we've done on here, you already mentioned it, and that's a 1931 classic, King Kong. I mean, this, the fact that they were able to pull all this off in 1931, and the stuff that they wanted to do that they couldn't do because of the censorship at the time, like with the with the bugs, after they all fall into that pit, they're all supposed to get eaten alive by supposedly giant spiders, which um, apparently they filmed it, but the f- footage has gotten lost since then, has never been found. Uh, it really showed you, damn, like what other ideas that they have. And, uh, for any, you know, fans of special effects, you had a young unknown Ray, Ray Harryhausen on set. who was only a teenager at the time learning the craft of the business. And of course, Ray Harryhausen became a legend himself doing, uh, doing all the stop motion for Jason, the Argonauts. A lot of those films in the sixties was uh, because of him. And he got inspired because of this movie. This was a film that kind of made him like, you know, I want to devote my life to this. King Kong's a very well-made film, as you already mentioned, is, you know, been an inspiration for so many other movies. Of course, the big one being Jurassic Park. Um, I mean, who hasn't seen the? Everyone needs to watch the original King Kong at least once. It's one of those films. It's a must-watch movie. Probably RKO Studios' biggest film biggest uh, success i could be wrong i don't know what other films on the top of my head that they've done i know they distributed films for walt disney all his animation movies uh no longer around you know they're still i know they um as one film we're gonna really review was the remake the peter jackson one just to get your take on how they did but yeah king kong is a is a, a classic as you mentioned it's been preserved in the library of congress whatever and it should be protected at all costs this is a classic one of the one of I would probably say it's a masterpiece. A 10 out of 10. Great yeah, adventure I, film. You can even say it's a horror movie. I wouldn't argue with that either. I agree with that. Yeah. The original classic King Kong. And for the worst film that uh, we've ever done on here, you haven't mentioned it yet. Uh, I know you weren't in the review because I think you fell asleep. I reviewed it with the other two, Mario and um, uh, Ray. Rob Zombie's The Monsters. Oh. <laughs> God, what the fuck? It's clear Rob Zombie's never done comedy before. These, I don't know what the hell kind of performance the two lead actors were trying to do. Uh, I can't remember the guy called Caveman's name off the top of my head, but of course his wife Sherry Moon plays Lily. Uh, I don't know what she was trying to do here. I don't know what performance she was going for, but it was not Lily Munster. And Herman definitely was not Herman. They were all annoying. I mean, I would have thought at least with the monsters, Rob Zombie grew up on the monsters. He's had clips of of the characters in House of a Thousand Corpses watching the monsters. So he's clearly a fan. He's a mark. I thought he would have went outside of his bubble to try to cast some actors who can actually do justice to these characters. The actor he got to play uh, Grandpa Monster, he was the only good casting choice. He was the only one I felt like was trying to do justice. He was the best part of the movie, but he just, it, it wasn't enough to save the movie. It was terrible. And it dragged. I think that was like, ah, uh, it was like a maybe a hundred minute movie. And it felt like it was twice as long because of how boring it was. Everything dragged and nothing was funny. And in the end, when they got, apparently when they got the money to be rich, it just wasn't earned. It was just, it felt random. And then the credits were filled. I was like, oh, uh, I didn't realize I was supposed to be the end of the movie. But thank God it's over. And that's that. Fucking, I hate. I terrible, terrible. It's funny because I did not hate the monsters, but I didn't like it either. 
it just felt like a very extended episode of the monsters and yeah like you said it just ended abruptly it didn't feel like there was really any power struggle but i didn't hate it it was just it was a whatever movie to me it it, it, it definitely was a movie that after watching it they made the right call not putting it in theaters i don't know how this movie would have survived in theaters it probably would have bombed that destroyed it would have got destroyed in the box office but anyways the number one favorite film it's a bias because i saw it when i was younger and it fucked me up a lot um halloween four this was <laughs> this film fucked me up badly because of the the one kill i think i made a top 10 list of the kills that have really fucked me up and brady's death was the one death that really fucked me up and it's obviously the return of michael myers after halloween three because Halloween 3 did not go to the Michael Myers route. It went into the anthology route. It was going to be similar to that of like Tales from the Crypt movies or American Horror Story, where everyone would be a different story. That didn't work, so they had to go and bring back Michael. And they found a way to bring back Michael where they started the Thorn trilogy. Unfortunately, they didn't know where they were going with the Thorn trilogy, but this was a good start. And it was very well done, in my opinion. Having Michael comatose after the uh, the fire explosion and all that stuff, and he comes back to go after uh, his sister's daughter, which is his niece. Uh, Danielle Harris basically breaks through in this film. D- uh, Dr. Loomis, you could tell, is starting to get tired and beaten and all that stuff. It's a very... I don't know if it's an intelligent film per se, but it is definitely a good Halloween film. Definitely not as good as the original, but hey, it is definitely a a worthy successor to the original because it's just a very fun film, to say the least. So after watching it, especially the end with the big twist where Jamie turns heel and kills, (laughs) well, stabs her aunt. You don't know if she kills her or whatever. And then you're thinking, is she going to be the next one? And supposedly she was supposed to. Don't know where that was supposed to go. And then we get Halloween 5 afterwards, which I didn't hate as much as you, but I can understand. Halloween 4, fantastic. I loved it. It's probably not as quality as Exorcist or King Kong or uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. But as far as personal favorite, it's always going to be mine from biased reasons. (sighs) Number one worst film. Oh, I already know. Yeah, I mean, it, people, <laughs> if you've been watching the show, or listening, I should say, this would be the most fucking predictable answer that you should ever know. I said it at the time that this was a heavy candidate. It was literally solidified, unless we found one film that just so happened to be as bad, if not worse. It was going to be damn near impossible, and sure enough, it fucking, like, signed, sealed, and was delivered into the number one spot of the worst films we've ever done in these 50 episodes, and probably ever, Barbarian. (laughs) The worst fucking film, not just in these 50 episodes, the worst film we've ever reviewed, by far. Wow. The worst (laughs) film. The dumbest film was not scary, too many plot holes. Too many unexplained little plot points that they try to, like, simmer into your brain, thinking that it was going to mean something later on, and then it just ended up being completely irrelevant. Marcus calling. uh, the uh, Keith being somewhat of uh, the villain, you would think. Her taking a picture of Keith's ID. uh, What was it that, that 
one dude that was dressed in uh what was it mother's father or mother's husband dressed up in a, a suit that didn't have his name tag and he's going around opening people's windows for some odd reason the town being run down with no explanation whatsoever this dumb bitch not knowing to use google maps to see if where she was going is going to be dangerous then you have a guy who owns a house in the middle of a fucking rundown neighborhood thinking it's a great idea to sell it as an airbnb and we decided to add a spongebob plot by having a fucking string like the string in the box like this, this movie was fucking stupid there was nothing good about it no enjoyable characters no enjoyable moments in this film the no you know what the enjoyable part was the credit scene because you knew it was over you didn't have to watch anymore you knew you could just move on fucking horrible film worst we've ever done what's the director's name uh he's from white's kids you know uh damn it blanking on his name let me get it Maybe we shouldn't know his name. He deserve the recognition. You said this was his first film, right? Well, he claims it's his first movie. He's ignoring uh, Miss March. All right. Let's just say for the sake of argument, this is his first film. I hope to God it's your last. <laughs> Zach Greger. God. Terrible. Absolute atrocious film. And I haven't found one person that liked it. You told me that you asked Mario his opinion. He didn't like it. I'm not sure what Ray's opinion is on it. I, yeah, this movie was terrible. This was how you felt when you watched ATM, when you were pissed off. That's how I felt when I watched this film. And it's very rare of me. Very rare. So if Barbarian got one thing right, is that I will always remember how bad this film is. Unlike, let's say, a ragdoll, where I'm not going to remember either way. So, terrible fucking film. And if we ever do a final episode, the worst movie ever and the best movie we ever did, I sure as hell think that Barbarian's going to be number one, probably till the end of time. Well, that's. Uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode. For uh, uh, 150 episodes of Fractured Skulls, let me ask you, Monoxide. Is there any films for our next 50 that you would uh, like to cover? Man. Well, we've not covered any Terminator films. We've not covered any of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. We've not covered... Well, we did cover the the remake of uh, Friday the 13th, but we haven't really done any of the original Friday the 13th. We've done every Halloween. Um, I'm not sure if we did any Final Destination. No, Uh, we haven't touched those yet. We haven't touched any Final Destination. Uh, we haven't touched Jaws. I'm just throwing out a bunch of... Yeah, I mean, we still have a lot of work to do. Still got plenty of work to do. Um, I still really want to watch that Winnie the Pooh horror movie. I was just fucking morbidly curious about that one. Yeah, uh, we, we got those. We still got the Jurassic World sequels to touch on. Yeah, I would definitely like to do those. I remember... Uh, there was uh, an idea of doing the King Kong remake with Jack Black. Yes. And uh, trying to think, is there any other ones? Oh, I wanted to do that Banana Splits one that came out a couple years ago because I was like, wait, a Banana Splits movie that's a horror film? I never knew it would become a horror film. I kind of like Winnie the Pooh, I guess. But uh, yeah, we still got that. 
Yeah, we got plenty of material to work with. Yeah, you mentioned we did cover some franchises on this podcast. We did all the Halloweens, amazingly. We got through all the god-awful Resident Evil movies. Well, we didn't do the new Welcome to Raccoon City. Maybe that drops on the ass. We may cram that in there. I could... Yeah. That part. It, another movie that I think would be very quintessential to us, because it involves both horror movies and wrestling, is Cena Weevil. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we could do that one. No, we've not done that. Starring Glenn Jacobs, who you may know better as Kane. That's got to be Kane. Uh, Mayor Jacobs. Um. Oh, this- you know, I know WWE Films has done some horror movies as well. Maybe we'll touch upon those, too. Yeah, I think the only one I remember seeing was Oculus, I think that was called. Or is that the one with the mirror? Yeah, it's been a, yeah. I've seen that. It's been a while since I've seen it. I remember. Yeah, that was I think one of the first horror movies me and Anna went to see in theaters, and we both ended up not liking it. So, I that's how I remember. I remember it being very bad. Um, yeah, I I, I think I said Terminator. We haven't done any of the Terminator films. Did we do any Alien films? No. We didn't do any Alien. We didn't do any we didn't do Predator. Yeah, we haven't done Predator. Uh, we haven't done. Uh, I would like to do John Carpenter's The Thing, The Blob, Psycho, Blob, Psycho. Oh God, yeah, you haven't seen Psycho. Yeah, I heard like the remake is like a, a scene for scene, the exact same film. It is, yes. So I, I'd be interested to do those back to back. Like I, I, I think that's gonna have to be like a, a double movie review just to like compare the two. Hmm. Yeah, we got uh, some more of those, too, like uh, double... We could do, like, original versus remake reviews and just compare. Yeah. So, yeah, we there's a lot that we can touch up on. Yeah, we yeah we still, yeah, we still have a lot to do. Uh, definitely, you already mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street. I see those on Max, like, every other month they put the whole franchise back up on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we still, yeah, we still got a lot of work to do. Still a lot of good stuff. And plus, I'd like to touch on more of the Universal Monsters. We could do Dracula, Frankenstein. We could maybe save that for October month. Yeah, especially since uh, I'll be over at Universal Studios once again. And this time, hopefully, I'll be able to do Halloween Horror Nights. Yeah. Mm. So uh, I'm already looking forward to the future. And I already mentioned our next episode, we're going to cover the animated Mortal Kombat films, the Legends series. I'm about to put on one right now in a bit after this recording just to refresh my memory. Mm-hmm. See how the the animation movies, we can even compare them to the live action ones. And see how they hold up. And see how, and how well they stick to the lore of the story. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. That'd be fun. Yep. And uh, I think I'm going to wrap this one up, pal. Okie dokie. You know, and to all of our fans that have been listening to this long for 150 episodes, uh, thank you guys so much. And uh, hopefully you'll stick around for another 50 more. Yeah, maybe we'll get to the big 200. Oh my god. The big 200. We've been doing this since the summer of 2020. Two years, about. No, three? Three? Oh my god, I never thought uh, we would be doing a podcast this long. I figured it would last like maybe 20 episodes at best. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think we'd gone. We, uh, yeah, we already went on longer than uh, 
Mario and any of his podcasts, his spin off podcast that he's done. I know you've done wrestling podcasts in the past. It's gone longer than all probably all those put together. Yeah, 100%. We don't plan on stopping, baby. We're having too much fun. Too much you know, damn fun. Too much damn fun. And, and at the same time, it, it makes me re-watch, revisit some of these films that you know, I probably never would have went back to. And maybe find some new ones. That is true. So we're going to keep this train going until as long as we possibly can. I guess so we get bored of it. And then, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then definitely we got to get more people on. I like to have more guests on. Yeah, we should. Uh, I guess preferably that we haven't had yet. Yeah. Definitely we got we to gotta hit up some more people. Hey, you want to be on our podcast, pal? <laughs> it's such good shit. It is good shit. So that's going to do it for episode 150, guys. Thank you so much for everything you've uh, done to support us and to continue to support us. You can find us we're on Instagram or on Facebook. You can follow us personally on our Instagram accounts. And if you ever want to come on, be a guest, let us know and we'll make it. We'll, we'll figure it out. So for uh, Monoxide, I'm Terminator Travis. We'll see you at 151. Woot woot. <laughs>